As Omicron continues to pop up in more states around the country, we're getting a rare good piece of news in the age of COVID-19. According to preliminary data, it looks like the new variant could be a milder form of the virus. As of today, Omicron has been detected in 38 nations around the globe, but the World Health Organization has yet to record a single death from the new strain. This could be a really positive development, right? Don't pop the champagne corks yet. The Fauciites, the bureaucrats, they're not giving up anytime soon on the panic porn. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line, I'm Buck Sexton. Let's turn to the data. Omicron has been found in 19 U.S. states as I speak to you right now. It is clearly going to spread to far more than that. Now, if this were a substantially more lethal virus, sending more people into the hospital, uh, if it were clear that it even evaded all of the vaccine or perhaps even natural immunity protective powers that we've relied on up to this point, or we've believed we could rely on up to this point, that would be cause for major concern. Now, it is early, and we don't know, and there'll be more information coming out soon, but what we know right now is that Omicron is looking like it may, emphasis on may, be a less dangerous form of COVID-19. And this often happens with viruses. They mutate into less dangerous strains. This would be, if it were true, the beginning of what could be a very positive development in our fight against the virus. Now, I understand it's not a time for celebration, but it's also not a time for panic. And it's certainly not a time for panic mandates, moves that are determined to push people even further down the line of health policy tyranny. De Blasio, we talked about this yesterday on the show, he is doubling down. He wants even more extreme mandates. He wants to make sure that kids will need a vaccine to go to a restaurant, but not for school. That, that seems kind of arbitrary, right? Like almost all the things that de Blasio is coming up with here as the mayor of New York City. And remember, he wants it for the whole country. He is actively calling out to other Democrat mayors and other blue states to do this kind of crazy, all-in, anything to stop the virus, even if it doesn't work, even if it tramples on civil liberties, whatever. Here he is explaining the policy on kids. You can hear it yourself. Talk to me about the, the consistency, the, the intellectual consistency with requiring vaccinations for kids to go into restaurants, but you're not requiring it to go into schools. Yes, I can tell you that for sure. Look, we all would love it when people go to our restaurants or our movie theaters, but those are obviously for fun, for enjoyment. A school is absolutely basic to a child and their development, their future. I don't want to hold against a child if their parent doesn't take the time to get them vaccinated or for some reason hesitates. I don't want that child to miss out on education. Okay, so that's a judgment call, right? Now, keep in mind, he keeps saying this is about science, but this is all about judgment. This is all about what we should be willing to do, what kind of balance we should strike in society. And the Fauciites, uh, people like de Blasio, the Democrat Party overall, are just lunatics on this issue. Um, it doesn't even matter anymore that they've been wrong and wrong again, and now they're wrong once more. And it also doesn't seem to matter to them very much that they keep losing in the courts, which is a pretty big indicator there's a big problem here just today, it came down that a federal judge has blocked the vaccine mandate for federal contractors. Here's Saki Bomb doing the dance that she does. 
White House have any reaction to a federal judge in Georgia's decision to block the administration from um, enforcing the um, COVID-19 mandate, uh, vaccine mandate for employees or federal contractors? Well, the reason that we proposed uh, these uh, these uh, requirements uh, is that we know they work, uh, and we are confident in our ability uh, legally uh, to uh, make these happen across the country. Uh, as you know, uh, the federal government, the largest employer in the country, we have successfully implemented these requirements in a way that has not only boosted vaccinations in the federal government with more than 92 percent of people vaccinated, but also helps avoid disruptions in operations. Uh, and our implementation sends a clear message to businesses, including federal contractors, that similar measures will protect their workforce, protect their customers, and protect our community. Huh. So not phased at all by the fact that federal judges just said they don't have the power to do yet another thing that they have said they are going to do when it comes to vaccine mandates. The Biden administration keeps on being blocked by judges for exceeding their power. That seems like something that you might want to take note of, except. They love the tyrannical aspects of this and the control and the overreach. That's not a bug, that's a feature. And then we go back to the severity issue in Omicron for a second, just to note, even Dr. Fauci says it is almost certainly not more severe than Delta, okay. Then he says, this is according to AFP, there is some suggestion that it might even be less severe because when you look at some of the cohorts that are being followed in South Africa, the ratio between the number of infections and the number of hospitalizations seems to be less than with Delta. So even he is saying there is some possible positive development here in terms of how dangerous this is. What do the vaccine makers think about all this, by the way? They have quite a large stake in this process, tens of billions of dollars hanging in the balance here. Well, here's Pfizer CEO Albert Bourla saying that a faster spreading at milder disease would not be a positive development. Interesting. But he says, don't worry, the vaccines will control the spread, which has not been true up to this point. But, you know, who's paying attention, I guess. Watch. The idea that it would be spread faster, but being potentially even milder, Mm -hmm. um, that is being heralded as a possibly a good thing that we could end up with higher Mm -hmm. immunity, natural immunity. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? No, No. I don't think it is good good news. That's why we have the experts. I don't think it's good news to have something that spreads fast. Mm-hmm. Spreads fast means that will be in billions of people, another mutation may come. You don't want that. Uh, but it uh, doesn't mean that we don't have, let's say, the means to control it right now, and we need to wait to see how things are evolved. Another mutation may come, it spreads fast. Interesting. So then are we trying to get to COVID zero? Or what are we doing here exactly? Are we just getting shots forever and hoping that the Big pharma companies can keep up with all the shots we're going to be getting for a virus that has a 99.7% chance of survival for those who get it. Yeah. Um, You want to know how crazy this can get? Here's the Prime Minister of New Zealand just straight up telling everybody this vaccination program is forever. So long as there's people who are eligible who haven't been vaccinated, we've got work to do. You know, I don't think I'll ever be satisfied so long as there's someone who's choose, you know, who who is eligible and hasn't been. And that's why I've said this, there's not going to be an end point to this vaccination program. Uh, Once we've, obviously, we're rolling out boosters now, so we've got another, you know, wave of people that we need to make sure that we're protecting again. So um, those who were vaccinated six months ago, we really need them to come back or we need to go to them. Got to get the shot again. 
people, they're never gonna stop. President Biden met with Russian President Vladimir Putin today via video chat as tensions rise over the Russia-Ukraine issue. Can a conflict be avoided or are the two nations actually headed for war? We'll discuss with former Deputy National Security Advisor to Vice President Dick Cheney, Stephen Yates, when we come back. Right now, let's talk about securing your personal data. Big tech is taking advantage of us, mining our data, selling it. Guess what? We don't benefit from it. Look, if you think your emails, texts, etc., are private, you're wrong. That's where Secure comes in. Secure's email platform is totally private. It's Swiss-hosted. They use their own servers in Switzerland and have no ties to American big tech companies. With Secure, there's no data mining whatsoever. It's completely private. What makes Secure different from every other email investing provider out there is that it's the best email platform in the world when it comes to security and privacy. Totally unmatched. Look, use my discount code BUCK. Secure will cost you only $7.50 a month for full access. That's nothing. Go to secure.com today and create your secure email address and account. Use promo code BUCK for 25% off for a whole year. That's S-E-K-U-R.com. S-E-K-U-R.com. Promo code BUCK. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. Russia's actions for a long time, and uh, my expectation is we're going to have a long discussion. That long discussion the president teased on Friday night took place earlier this afternoon. In the two-hour video call, Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin discussed the escalation of tension between Russia and Ukraine and the drastic sanctions the U.S. is considering if Moscow invades its southern neighbor. In a statement released earlier today, the White House said... Biden voiced the deep concerns of the U.S. and other European allies about Russia's escalation of forces surrounding Ukraine and made it clear that the U.S. and our allies would respond with strong economic and other measures in the event of military escalation. Biden also reiterated his support for Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity and called for de-escalation and a return to diplomacy. Joining now with reaction on Russia taunting and testing the West, and perhaps even more than that, former Deputy National Security Advisor to Vice President Dick Cheney, Steve Yates. Good to see you, Steve. Good to see you, Buck. How big a deal is this? Is Russia going to go for it? Looks like this is a real serious situation we're dealing with. I think Russia is going to go for something. I think that getting uh, our heads around what exactly that will be, is it trying to slice off more of Ukraine's territory? Is it trying to extract other concessions, uh, trying to demonstrate its dominance in one area in order to try to push back others nearby? Uh, I think it's, you know, anyone who knows the region knows that Ukraine is a very, very large territory. That would be pretty substantial if Russia were to go all in and trying to take all of Ukraine. Uh, So I my sense is that's not actually what's in the cards, but they're definitely testing the president's medal. I'm not a fan of these video conference summits or gatherings. It just allows the president to be more isolated when transparency and interacting with the press and the public should be our strength versus autocratic rulers. Do you think that Putin might just be bluffing? Is there anything in it for him if that is the case? And we're seeing a lot of information about, a lot of reporting about a pretty major troop buildup. Could this all be a head fake? And if so, why? Well, I'm not so sure it's a head fake. I think it's basically flexing muscle. Uh, there's lots of times when troops could be moved, pressure could be applied. Uh, they've already, I mean, really, Russia has gotten a lot from the Biden administration already. Uh, the, the pullback from missile defense commitments, 
the green lighting of Nord Stream 2, but then trying to say, but wait, we can maybe do something about it now after saying we couldn't do something about it. Uh, it really, the Russians have the United States head on a swivel in many ways. Uh, this is somewhat of a test of Europe and the transition from Merkel to new leadership in Germany. Uh, we have Lithuania showing Europe the way it should be going, but it's a small country trying to lead the way among other giants. Uh, so I think this is posturing mostly by Putin, but they certainly could move. And to them, I think resources and control matter more than territory. This is not Biden's first go around with Putin. Biden was vice president when Russian backed forces took over uh, Ukraine's, well, they seized the Crimean Peninsula, which also triggered economic sanctions back under the President Obama time in office. So is the threat of more sanctions likely to keep Putin in place, or is this just a repeat of the Obama failures we saw when it comes to Russia? In many ways, I think it is a repeat of the Obama-Biden foreign policy that did, in fact, cede territory to Russia. Uh, there were August international agreements to protect the territorial integrity of Ukraine for no less than giving up its nuclear capabilities. You would think of any of the obligations that the so-called inter international community would uphold that would be those related to counterproliferation of the world's most dangerous weapons. But no, that was a failure then. And I think that the Russians have accurately assessed that maybe they can gain more ground now. It's just very difficult from the outside to assess what exactly is the territory within the Ukraine, or is it all of the Ukraine that they seek? To me, it seems like they're pushing to, ex to demonstrate dominance, to demonstrate weakness in America, and perhaps to dis distract away from the Asia Pacific, where we're concerned about adventurism from China and others there. Stephen, we have some sense, I would assume, of how effectively the Ukrainian armed forces would be able to, even if it is, let's say, an incursion, a limited incursion meant to seize a portion of territory, um, do the Ukrainians have it in them to make this too costly for Russia to want to make the move, or is Russia likely to just steamroll them? Well, we're way behind the eight ball, so to speak, in trying to help them be able to help themselves. They certainly have capability, and they have demonstrated in the past a will to fight. Uh, they would like very much not to have to stand alone. I personally don't think that it's America's job, first and foremost, to stand there and be the deterrent. Really, Europe should be doing more to uphold its vision of a Europe whole, whole and free. That's kind of the European School of Foreign Services mantra that's time for them to deliver from Europe. Uh, but I, I just don't really get the clear sense of how far Putin really wants to go. You're, the Ukrainians alone are at a profound disadvantage, but we could do a lot to bolster their capability. So could their neighbors. On the point about the U.S. role in this, both the White House and the Pentagon were asked questions yesterday about the possibility of U.S. troops being deployed in Ukraine. Here was what they said. Is President Biden prepared to warn that there's the possibility of U.S. military involvement if Russia invades Ukraine? Again, I'm not going to get ahead of the president's conversation. Has there been any discussion about increasing military aid? I'm not going to get ahead of uh, decisions one way or another that the administration uh, may or may not make here. Yeah, we get the idea. Not a lot of clarity, at least with what they're going to say to the public on this at this point. But what do you think, Stephen? Is there a realistic possibility that there could be a military 
U.S. military deployment in advance of or after a Russian incursion? Well, it's pretty late in the game at this point. Uh, I mean, I remember being in the crosshairs of a lot of international and domestic press in 2016 when there was a debate about uh, providing assistance to the Ukraine to deter Russia. A lot of people got in high church about the Republican Party giving the nominee, President, who would become President Trump, some flexibility in trying to figure out the mixture of those kinds of uh, elements of assistance. But you would think that all of the never Trump and all the Democrats would have been spending the last several years training, equipping, arming, and pulling allies to the side of the Ukrainians so we wouldn't be in this position now. If we get dragged in now, it's from a position of weakness, playing catch up, and I don't like the United States being used in that way, and I think that the public in the United States would be pretty much against that too. Steve, thanks for being with us, good to see you. My pleasure, take care. Kamala Harris just can't seem to catch a break. The vice president is taking a pounding in the press for creating a toxic work environment after several high-profile staffers abruptly revealed they were leaving their posts. They were not happy. We'll have more on that with the First TV's Morgan Zeggers when we return. Right now, I want to talk to you about my friends at My Digital Money. The crypto market is really hot right now. It seems like everyone wants to get in on the action. There's so many currencies to choose from, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, or any of the dozens of digital tokens out there these days. It's not easy to get started. That's where my digital money comes in. It's an easy to use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with incredible customer service. It's one of the few US-based crypto companies that will answer your phone call and help you get started. And because your comfort and security is their absolute top priority, they offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities for gains or limit losses without having to watch your account 24-7, and a play money account so you can test the market without risking your money. Look, the crypto market's heating up. This might be the best time in a long time to get into this exciting technology-based investment. When it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back. That's what you'll get with My Digital Money. Go to MyDigitalMoney.com. Again, that's MyDigitalMoney.com. We'll be right back with more. Hold the line. The deep-seated dysfunction in Vice President Kamala Harris's office and the exodus of top staffers seems entirely predictable. And it's happening. Back in 2020, Kamala's campaign unraveled in an ugly war between rival staffers, each side publicly blaming the other for Harris's failure to connect with voters. Biden eventually revived her by tapping her as VP, and yet once again, we're seeing staffers drop like flies while leaking negative information to the press on their way out the door. Contributor here at The First TV, Morgan Zeggers, joined me now to share her perspective on the White House drama. Morgan, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Buck. So this is always a fun topic, just because shouldn't be surprising to anybody, but I do think Democrats are going through something of a not-so-quiet panic these days about, oh my gosh, if the plan was to have Kamala just take over for Joe, that might not work so well for a myriad of reasons, but here's one of them. It's a new report out in the New York Post uh, that brands Kamala as the common denominator behind a recent exodus of high-level staffers and this is the great line. They say Harris's allegedly soul-destroying management style was revealed by staffers just days after spokesperson and longtime aide Simone Sanders announced her departure. What do you make of it, Morgan? 
Oh, uh, I have a few thoughts on this. Well, the first thing that kind of came to mind was, you know, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. And the crime on behalf of all the Dem operatives and the Dem strategists and the rest of them over there is that they played woke politics. They made President Biden announce that he was going to choose a black woman or a woman of color to be vice president. And that really narrows the field. I don't know about you, but as a woman, I would be pretty offended if I was told if the entire nation was told by my future boss that he was only electing me because of my race and gender. I'd be a little offended by that. Uh, but their crime was the fact that they ignored the will of the American people who clearly did not like her. I mean, she sucked in the primary and they made her vice president. And so now they have somebody who is called, quote, soul destroying as a boss and is incredibly uh, negatively viewed in the media and by the population right now. I think she has a lower approval rate than Joe Biden himself. So honestly, they've got to do the time now for the crime. Former Harris aide Gil Duran said that Harris's destructive patterns were behind the recent turmoil and the exit of Simone Sanders and uh, communications director a Ashley Etienne. One former staffer claimed the vice president fails to read briefing materials and then lashes out at staff when she is unprepared. Ugh. Uh, it's a little frustrating to hear that that's what the vice president is up to. I feel like if you're in that position, you should want to be fully aware of everything. You should be reading everything and properly representing the American people and everything that you're doing. But again, I'm not surprised because she's just a senator from California who did terribly in the presidency. I think she only run. Honestly, Buck, I think that most people just join the primary for president these days so that they can get more followers. They can build their national rapport with the American people and then build their career in the future. I think most of them know that they're not going to be in office. And what happens? to Kamala is I think she did it for her own personal benefit, not thinking that she'd actually win. And what do you know? Now she's VP. And I don't know if you've seen the show Veep, but it's very similar. And I think it's because she didn't ever see herself in this terrible position. She's not happy and she's not going to perform her best when she's representing the American people because of it. So it's really a shame for everybody. Jen Psaki has the unenviable task of trying to defend Harris's work environment, the people around here. Here's how she responded when asked recently. Did anybody ask the deputy director to put out a positive tweet today, or was that all him? I, I'm not aware of any asks for a positive tweet or a specific tweet. I would point you to the vice president's office, but uh, I work with a number of people in the vice president's office who certainly are looking forward to continuing their jobs. Just to be clear, I have that tweet in front of me from someone in Kavala's office that's got a lot... <laughs> <laughs> this was a lot of fun. He tweeted out, Hi, my name is David Ginz. I work for Vice President Harris on behalf of the American people as Deputy Director for Operations, and I absolutely love my job. Just thought some of you should know. Thanks, my man. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> it sounds like a hostage situation, but that's really what it is. I mean, this is bureaucracy at its finest, where now the little people are suffering because of the leadership's decisions. Honestly, when I look at Jen Psaki, when I look at this this man that posted this picture with the creepy message about how he loves his job working for a soul destroyer, I, I see it and I don't understand how they can continue to work for someone like this. I mean, every serious issue from Afghanistan to the mandates to, to now this, a soul destroying vice president, Jen Psaki's asked about it and we can't trust her to provide a serious answer. So I don't know what the White House press pool is even doing these days. You don't get any honest answers from her. So how can they even do their job really? Uh, it's, it's disappointing to me and I don't know how, when you're supposed to be serving the American people, how someone like Jen Psaki can continue to stay in her position. I feel like I would have tapped out by now and said, this just doesn't align with my values anymore to come up and lie to the people every single day. Also wanted to get your take, uh, switching gears in terms of stories here for a second, Morgan. 
Um, I know you were a competitive athlete uh, previously, and there's a lot of focus right now on Leah Thomas, a 22-year-old transgender swimmer at the Ivy League School, University of Pennsylvania, who before her gender uh, transition competed for three years at Penn as a man named Will Thomas. Leah Thomas now blew away her competition Friday in the 500-yard freestyle preliminaries, um, <laughs> and the swimmer continued smashing records on Saturday. She had a seven-second victory over the nearest competitor in the 200-yard freestyle, which is massive, as I understand it. Uh, and uh, she's basically, uh, or this individual, this transgender female, you know, the pronoun thing, um, is destroying all the women that uh, this person swims against. This is not a surprise. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I mean, it's disgusting to hear about, but the fact that it's so normalized, I think really says a lot. Uh, I know growing up in sports, you learn so many lessons. And I really hope that when I have kids one day, my kids play sports, not because I'm going to be one of those parents that's like, you must win the gold medal every time. You must be a college star and then move on to the professional leagues. But instead, it's because you learn a lot of serious life lessons, like working so hard every day, every week, hurting your body and then pushing through it physically. But then to get to game day and then you lose sometimes or you tie and you just want to win so bad but it doesn't come or maybe you get hurt after working so hard and you have to sit on the bench and watch your team and you just want to be there with them there's so many valuable lessons and when you think about this though i think a lot of the athletes are going to learn a different lesson because they're working so hard they've dedicated their whole lives to it practically and honestly this is also really big for scholarships and for the future of their career because a lot of these sports allow a professional career to come out of it and now these students are learning wait woke politics can lead to my career potentially being cut at the knees because now they're allowing for this to happen and our government officials are not protecting us when that's really what the right thing to do is here. So I think it's going to be a big lesson. Same thing with the way COVID-19 was a lesson for them on force versus choice. We're now living for the first time in a society where you can be forced to do something in America by the government. We've never experienced that before as a generation. And now with sports as well, we're going to experience that, that element of having an unfair standard set where we we are not put in a, a righteous position and the government isn't allowing it to happen. Well said, as always. Morgan, thanks for being here. Thanks, Buck. China is promising reprisals after the U.S. announced a diplomatic boycott of the 2022 Beijing Olympics. We'll have more on that with Gordon Chang coming up. You have homeowner's insurance for a good reason. Without it, fire, flood, burglary could ruin you financially. But there's another crime your homeowner's policy doesn't cover, home title fraud. The FBI says it's growing very fast. Here's how it works. Title fraud happens when a criminal forges your signature on documents stating you sold your home to him. Then he takes out loans against your home and leaves you with payments. You'll spend a fortune in legal fees trying to prove you didn't commit fraud. Home Title Lock puts a barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect anyone, cyber thief, renter, a relative, anybody trying to forge their way onto your home's title, they shut it down. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim. Enter radio for 30 free days of protection. That's code radio at hometitlelock.com. Gordon Chang joins us when we come back. On Monday, the Biden administration announced a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Winter Olympics. Press Secretary Jen Psaki says the United States will not attend events such as the opening or closing ceremonies due to China's human rights abuses and atrocities. Take a look. As the president has told President Xi, standing up for human rights is in the DNA of Americans. Uh, we have a fundamental commitment to promoting human rights, and we feel strongly in our position, and we will continue to take actions to advance human rights in China and beyond. 
So how will China retaliate? Gordon Chang, author of The Great U.S.-China Tech War and the Coming Collapse of China, joins me now. You can also follow him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, thanks for being with us. Just bring us up to speed as to what's going on right now with the Biden administration, the Olympics. What does it all mean? China is going through a full court press on propaganda, and it's quite vicious on this, saying that, well, we're not invited. Um, why are we talking about this? Um, but China is really concerned. Now, they say that they're going to impose firm countermeasures. And in the past, China has threatened these and not carried through. This time, I think they actually will for various reasons. But because China is in a fragile position right now, especially the debt crisis, I think that whatever measures Beijing imposes on us are going to be pretty mild in comparison to what people think. Uh, Gordon, the Biden administration, are they taking the right moves here? Is this the right step? Should there be more? Should there be less? This is a good first step, but they've got many more steps they need to take. When Jen Psaki announced this diplomatic boycott, she actually talked about China committing genocide and crimes against humanity. And we know that what the Chinese are now doing is comparable to what the Third Reich did before the start of the Second World War, and is indeed comparable to what they did before uh, the mass exterminations of 1941. So a diplomatic boycott, although it is a good move, is certainly insufficient. And we should be going to the International Olympic Committee, getting them to move the games. We should be imposing Magnitsky sanctions on Chinese leaders. We should be cutting off trade. We should be doing a lot of things because what China is doing is horrific. It's an attack on civilization. Senior editor of the Global Times sent out a tweet in response to uh, our country and the Olympic Games. Um, this is what uh, Hu Shijin said, um, with the premise that Washington was not invited to the Winter Olympics, it has made a big deal announcing it will not send a government delegation to the Games. They are so arrogant that one day they could ask for an appearance fee to go to the public restrooms in foreign cities. So, Gordon, if Washington was never invited, why is China threatening countermeasures? What's the, what's the big deal? Because it is, of course, customary that foreign leaders from around the world attend the Olympics. The Chinese know that. And, and they really are concerned because they have no answer to this. This is sort of like Peng Shui, you know, where they disappear her and yet they can't talk about it in China because they know that they would be raising issues that go to their own legitimacy. So they can't talk about Biden not uh, being invited. Uh, this, this is really important for us because it shows the inspirational impact the United States has on the Chinese people and how deathly afraid of that the Chinese regime is. Uh, do you think that there is a change in major corporate and Western and global government sentiment right now, Gordon, with regard to holding things like the Olympics in China. Are, are we at a tipping point or are things actually changing in a meaningful way when it comes to perception about should Beijing be a place where anyone's going to the Olympics? I think that we have reached a tipping point, Buck, um, though there's a lot more to go. The Women's Tennis Association did something very brave. They pulled their events from China, but the Men's Tennis Association did not. And the governing body of tennis worldwide did not. And the IOC, International Olympic Committee, has no, has no thought of moving the games, at least now. But there is momentum building. And I think that China actually is worried that the IOC will be forced to move or postpone the games, which is the reason why they had Peng, the tennis star, actually call up the IOC twice 
because Beijing really right now is, I think, frightened about what could happen. China's always been obscuring information about its economy, Gordon, as we know. But right now, their financial stability seems to be really uh, on the edge. Reporting here by the New York Times, a corporate collapse may happen soon, but it will be in China, where the Communist Party keeps a firm grip on money, corporate boardrooms, and media in the broader society. The financial world is watching the struggles of China Evergrande Group, one of the largest property developers on earth and certainly the most indebted. Chinese officials believe they have the situation under control. Of course, that's what they're saying. Uh, Gordon, can you tell everybody how big a deal is this and how big a problem is it if this Chinese development group collapses? If Evergrande collapses, which it will, it could take the Chinese economy, banking system, financial markets, and political system with it. It owes $305, $310 billion. That's about 3% of China's gross domestic product. Evergrande's not the only property developer in trouble. Property accounts for something between 25 to 30% of the total Chinese economy. And get this, Buck, 70 to 80% of the wealth of the Chinese people is invested in property, according to Moody's. So this has a potential for taking down China. And Evergrande just yesterday missed um, a grace period on an $83.5 million coupon payment Lenders can call it in default. They probably won't because China will strong arm them. But China has no way to get out of this debt crisis. So, Gordon, where does this go? I mean, we're, we're talking about something that for anybody who's watching Chinese economy, the global economy, obviously is going to be pretty on edge about. How do you see this playing out? Any number of ways. I think China will try to defer uh, a reckoning, and they're trying to do that now by loosening the money supply, by just dumping money into the Chinese economy, which is what got them into this problem in the first place. I don't think that they have the ability to get out of this because there's too much debt. Um, China could lash out because um, it realizes that uh, the party will fall unless it starts a war. So we're very much at a precarious point in history. If we get through the next couple of years without a major conflict, we'll be in, I think, a pretty good shape. But this next two years is really, really very critical. Gordon, I mean, are, are we going to have a, a fundamental transformation, you think, in the U.S. relationship with doing business in China specifically? Is that happening? It is starting to happen, Buck. Um, but obviously on Wall Street, corporate boardrooms were not there. But there are a number of things that are pushing this. Um, and so, yes, there will be a fundamental transformation, largely because China will push it. China is right now closing itself off from the world. It's cutting links. It's, get, it's forcing its companies to delist from New York, for instance, Didi Global, Alibaba may be next. So um, China is driving this. And at the same time, the American people understand, our, our political leaders don't, but the American people understand the fundamental nature of China's challenge because they keep on calling us an enemy. And we've got a president who says, oh, they're just merely a competitor. This is um, for us, we're a much stronger society than China, but we could lose our country because we have a political class, Republicans, Democrats, liberals, and conservatives who are not defending us. Gordon, always appreciate your expertise. Good to see you. Thank you, Buck. The View does it again. This time, the left-leaning ladies at the table blame the new Omicron variant on, get ready for it, the unvaccinated. Are you shocked? I'm not. We'll get into that kind of in quick hits. 
First, I want to tell you one more time about my friends at My Digital Money. A lot of people want to get into crypto these days, Bitcoin, Ethereum, so many digital tokens out there. That's where My Digital Money comes in. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with amazing customer service. It's one of the few U.S.-based crypto companies that will answer your phone call and help you get started. Because your comfort and security is their absolute top priority. They offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities, even a play money account so you can test the market. Look, when it comes to your cash, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back, speak to you honestly, and treat you like a human, not a number. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com. Tonight's quick hits are coming up next. Stay with us. Kyle Rittenhouse throws some shade in LeBron James's direction, and Joe Rogan destroys the leftist city of Seattle, calling it a third world country ready to implode. Not wrong. Time to get into those stories and more in quick hits. Um, but first, if you are looking for the equivalent of, a, of a, an intellectual cesspool, a, a refuse heap of ignorance and bad ideas that is televised, you would have to look far and wide to find some place more fitting that description than The View. And the ladies of The View are, are not good at analyzing rather straightforward news events, but we're talking about a global pandemic that has proven the expert consensus wrong time and time again. You know they're going to run off into some pretty interesting areas. And here they are, of course, politicizing this, blaming the unvaccinated for the Omicron variant. It was interesting to me that the <laughs> argument was being made, if you're vaccinated, why do you care about me being vaccinated? You're protected. And that's why we are at the Omarion uh, Om Om Omicron, Omicron variant, right? That's why we are where we are, because yeah. it's <laughs> mutating. It's becoming this crazy superbug inside of the people that aren't vaccinated. Know, and and now it's right. affecting us. I don't know why they were not understanding that. We've got like 80 million people they that understand. are not vaccinated. They, listen, they understand. They we don't want to. It's global, you abject fools. It's a global situation. It's not just in America. It's not just the Trump voters who don't get the shot. So, so stupid. Oh, but we'll get the whole world vaccinated. All 7 billion plus people are all going to get vaccinated and get vaccinated quickly enough that there's no variants that evade the vaccine because then they're going to need boosters for those 7 point whatever billion people. Right. Yeah. That's realistic. It's a, it's a good plan. Kyle Rittenhouse is a free man, an innocent man, a celebrated man. And he's not taking any crap from LeBron James. Here's what he says. No, LeBron really? said you're eating yeah. lemon drops, and then, he got, yeah, right? uh, and then he got the flu. Obviously, lemons don't make Kyle cry. He just eats them. I eat them okay? straight up. I threw away Bronny. my Lakers shirt. Just Did so you? everyone knows. I mean, I'm kind of disappointed you had one in the first yeah, place. I'm from LA. I'm you know, trying to I get rings. I was a Lakers fan too before he said that. Really? Yeah. I was really pissed off when I he said that because I like LeBron. And then I'm like, you know what? F you, LeBron. Seriously. Amen. There we go. Got written to us. Guy's laying it down. Great kid. Joe Rogan. Biggest podcast probably in the world, right? It's got a lot of people listening to him every day. And he's. Kind of a populist left guy, not really clear, but uh, he calls it like he sees it. You know, he's a politically heterodox, you could say. He calls it like he sees it. In Seattle, he says, is, well, you got to hear Joe Rogan say it. 
Seattle is a war zone. Yeah. It is so wild there now. It's like it's literally like a third world country about to implode. Oh. I used to go there years ago, and it was gorgeous. You'd see like a few homeless people every now and then, mm. but it was like all tech money. And you've got literal like militants controlling the streets like warlords. What is happening to Seattle? And Portland's even worse. Mm. It's like something about you got to get sunlight, kids. Yeah. Something about that Pacific Northwest. It's called Democrats. That's actually what's happened. Biden voters in charge, lots of them, and the most extreme Biden voters all gathering together in one place, and they're crazy. Speaking of crazy, in Britain, Manchester specifically, Mancunian accents come from Manchester, uh, they arrest people for not wearing masks. Not exempt. Oh, right. I'm exempt, so I don't need a mask. She's telling me you're so exempt. So mind your business, yeah? yeah. Okay. Mind your business. You don't need to ask what me I'm do, if I'm exempt. It's your attitude. No, you don't need to ask me. It's, it's not your business. What I'm going to do with you now, yeah? I'm going to ask you why you're exempt. In, in terms you don't of, need to worry. It's my medical right, history. I'm not asking fine. your medical history. So don't worry. No, you won't. No, you won't. I'll be going. No, you won't. You don't even have your mask on properly. Look at this guy. Right. He's got his nose out and he's trying to right. tell me to wear a mask right. in a subway right. when right. I'm exempt right. for right. asthma. So right. mind right. your business. Listen to me. And let me go my journey. The worst. People are nuts. The cops, in this case, unfortunately. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is next. She'll tie.